There's a place some of us go each fall. A place where the ring of a bell filters through the covers and hurried shouts of bird up bring everybody to attention. A place where the playful puppies around our house are transformed here to driven bird finders. And where there is confidence in the slow pace of the silver-muzzled old veterans. Where our friends tell the same old stories each year, and none of us seem to mind. Where great shots are forgotten, and epic misses never fade. Where an old gun will have a story to tell, if only it could speak to us. Where all the good seats are claimed by the dogs. If you have a camp, you know these things all too well. If you don't, well, you're always welcome here. So pull up a chair, tell us about your favorite gunner dog, and we'll admire the birds together and talk the night away by the fire. Welcome to Bird Camp. All right, before we begin, of course, thank you to the Patreons. And uh, your support is appreciated. And Well, the last time we used that, of course, the, the boy and I ended up using it for entry entry donations, really, is what it turned out to be for that woods walk over in Gladwin where we learned about habitat and met with some friends and watched some bird dogs run a trial brace. But those sort of things is what, of course, that goes to, toward. And uh, speaking of Patreons, we have three new ones, Charlie, Tom, and Mike. Uh, thank you for your support. You were, of course, entered into the Patreon giveaway. Some of the details of that, of course, are that uh, late on the 14th of September, because the 15th is going to be opening day, so technically I said the 15th, but I may pull it uh, 12.01, somewhere in there. Anyway, I'm throwing together a grab bag, that SCTP hat pin I found that I have a boxed Remington folding bird knife with the gut hook. It's a nice little thing. I think I'm going to put that in there. I have a coaster here with a, it's that cherry wood from behind the house, that deep, dark heartwood, the light sap wood with etching a king buck, I think is what it looks like, the, the universal Labrador symbol. Um, my Burton Spiller copy up here that I had thought was a library tag is really just the sticker from Thrift Books, and it's a little well-worn and used, which... Any good book worth reading will eventually become a little worn and used. The flyleaf has a few tears and things on it, but uh, Spiller ought to be read. That's just the way it ought to go. And uh, I'm going to add a few more things. I think there's one other, two other things. It might be, too, that once the person wins, I may ask them what they like and kind of cater to it. But at that point, this is still all just a brainstorm. But again, any Patreon of any amount... Uh, before the 15th of September, I will pull name out of a hat, probably do it live on the Facebook page there at Bird Camp on Facebook, and uh, get a hold of my winner. With that, these uh, these two guys I, I met, and uh, well, it's just a good story, so on to the podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Bird Camp Podcast. I am your host, Joe Schwenke, and today it's... Uh, Another another great set of people that I think I met from Facebook, and uh, that's going to be a theme. That's where I meet people now that I sit here in Belding in my study. But uh, welcome, Mark and Charlie. How are you tonight? Oh, I'm doing 
doing good. I'm sitting here. I have a, a set of notes. I'm surrounded by my books and stuff. We're, it's, it's a great evening. <laughs> Excellent. Good stuff. Yeah. And, uh, and a little bit for those listening, we, we started out by doing a little show and tell around on our Facebook video chat <laughs> here. Uh, looking at looking at the decor in, in Charlie's room and looking at the decor here in the study. And uh, for being 15, he's on a good roll as far as starting to put stuff on the walls where it belongs. And uh, I am. Yeah. And, and we're going to get into exactly how that kind of started. So, uh, how Charlie, who got you into hunting? We'll start there. So, uh, I originally was into shooting sports. Like, I was always kind of a fan of the outdoors. I was always fishing in the backyard shooting bb guns i had a bow and arrow i was doing whatever i could to be outside but uh i got my first gun at nine it was a remington 22 just a plinker good starting gun and uh i took that to the range that was that was great uh we went to a local range small one and that's where i really learned like about gun safety and all that stuff and then uh about half a year later, we decided to go out to a club that my dad found called, at the time it was called Urbandale. Now it's called C4. It's uh, the oldest gun club in Ohio. And uh, that's where I really got started with uh, the shotgun and shooting sports and stuff like that. We uh, rented a gun from there. It was a single shot. And uh, I started off. Uh, the nice lady there, Candace, she uh, showed us how to shoot skeet, basically. And that's where I really started. So we, I guess, Joe, the, uh, so Charlie lived in the backyard doing, like he said, all these things, setting traps with boxes and strings and <laughs> trying to catch wild animals. And we'd always, we'd just like, where's Charlie's in the backyard? And we don't have a big backyard. We're on the, we're in the Cleveland area a suburb on the east side, and it's pretty confined. Mm -hmm. So he was always the outdoor kid in the urban backyard, and uh, I was fortunate enough to be invited on some business venture uh, uh, outing, if you will, to um, uh, a gun club on the far west side of Cleveland, um, and they did trap and sporting clays and skeet. And after seeing that, I came back and I said, Charlie, we gotta, we gotta try, we gotta try this. And that's where we started Google around and we found this club over um, probably about an hour from us, you know, because we're, like I said, we're in an urban area. So anything we have to get to is pretty, well, it's about an hour out. And that's where, like Charlie said, we went to the club and they tucked us away because we're like, hey. Yeah, we, we were don't afraid wanna, to get embarrassed. We don't want to be embarrassed. <laughs> <laughs> and what, so she, where'd she take so, us? So uh, she took us to a ski range, which is like behind a wall. And uh, that's where I learned basically how a shotgun works and all that type of stuff. And then uh, a couple weeks later, we went out to the trap range, not afraid to be embarrassed this time. <laughs> and uh, I did pretty well first time doing trap. I got uh, about 16 out of 25, mm -hmm. which I thought was pretty good as a first time. Mm -hmm. And then uh, from there, specifically the club, they got uh, bought out. And now they're called C4 uh, shooting, shooting and training. And, training. Mm -hmm. and uh, now they have an incredible sporting clays course. Hmm. And that's what we normally do to practice for hunting. 
But I guess you started that at nine. Started that at nine. You're 15 now. 15. So at this point, we're, we usually go once a week. We try to. Uh, maybe every two weeks, but usually once a week and do the Sporting Clays course uh, just because we think it kind of fits the kind of hunting we do for practice. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's kind of how we started. It was, it was just doing Sporting Clays um, uh, at the club and trap. And how did that transition into hunting? I guess uh, it would be my brother-in-law, Charlie's uncle. Took us out for the first time at uh, Pine Hill. He would go annually with his cousin up to the North Woods in Wisconsin. And uh, they would go after grouse. And he would always send us these pictures. And, you know, there'd be like two or three on the tailgate. And after like four or five days and we're like, what's he doing up there? And what's he been, what's this all about? And, uh, so he, he's kind of the hunter, I guess, in the family. Yeah. And, uh, he said, okay, you guys have been doing this shooting sports stuff quite a bit. And we said, Charlie, he's been, looks pretty good out there. Let's see how he is on a preserve. And there in your neck of the woods at the, uh, now I guess closed Pine Hill, uh, preserve hunting preserve, uh, my brother-in-law had hunted there again on a business venture. He said, this is a great place. It's meticulous, well-groomed, great cover, mm-hmm. great owner. And Scott. And so he said, when you come up for Thanksgiving this year, let's all go. So you can tell him about that, that venture uh, because you had the rented gun. And that I mean, was <laughs> we still yeah. don't even own our own shotguns. Yeah. We, uh, <laughs> so my uncle's cousin, gave me a uh, single shot to use and Harrington and Richardson. Harrington and Richardson. That was my like first shotgun that wasn't mine, but loner. it was the first shotgun for me. And uh, we were planning on using that, but then they said like, can't be doing that. So I they thought that was a little dangerous for a first timer. I took out a, uh, <laughs> they gave me a Remington, Wingmaster. Yeah, the Wingmaster. It was the Remington Wingmaster Junior model, mm-hmm. and that's what I started with out there. And he proceeded to take down the first bird of the hunt without a problem. Awesome. <laughs> it, was like, it was very, it was very cool. Yeah, and I, this I is even, to this day he even remembers the guy's name and the dog and the type. And yeah, we uh, Pat, Pat was our guide, and mm-hmm. uh, his dog that we hunted with that day was Hank, a German Shorthair. Oh yeah. Yep, and this yeah. is this was some time ago. Then you're 15 now, so this is probably back closer to when you were 10 or 11. Yeah, I was 10 at that time, mm-hmm. so that was five years ago. Wow, mm-hmm. good. Yeah, and it, it was a nice, it was a really nice outing. Um, we then we kind of got bit by the bug, if you will, and when we came home, we're like, all right, we need to now continue our shooting sports, but we need to look around Ohio and find out what's available to us. And uh, we were able to find a preserve, again, about an hour away, out in the uh, east of us in Ashtabula County. Yeah. Called um, Hoskins, Hoskins Creek Game Birds. Hoskins Creek Game Birds. Great, great woman. Woman guide. Had been guiding for 24 years. Uh, Never shot a bird in her life, though. <laughs> <laughs> uh uh, raised Britneys, hmm. bred Britneys, and uh, I guess she had a handshake lease with an old farmer 
and had been on this handshake lease for 24 years out there. 24. And um, a great little creek, the name Hoskins, running right through the property, so it was very scenic. You descend down, have to co- have to cross this river, and the bridge was always washing out. Yeah, during the winter because the river because of the ice, it was always getting swept away. We usually had to go around a four wheeler. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, we would we would hunt with her. I don't know. We half a dozen times. I mean, when we hit it, we hit it hard. And she didn't have any kind of um, chucker and pheasants limits or anything. She's like, okay, you have to have twelve birds or this birds or that birds. You could literally just go out. Like shoot like half a dozen, four, yeah. three, whatever. And she had a lot of locals uh, in that neck of the woods who would do that. Mm-hmm. So we really kind of honed the whole preserve thing under her watch. Um, and that's where I think we kind of discovered these different dog taps. That's where we started getting into the dogs big time. Because she used to tell us, like, when we were out there, she used to tell us about, like, the dog's body language, what's mm-hmm. it doing, when, like, very specifically... Like, it's going around this way to get the scent of the wind, or its tail is moving this direction when it gets birdie and all that stuff. And that's really where I learned about how to read a dog. Mm-hmm. And that, that really, that preserve then led us to say, are there other ones around? And, you know, through just the network, it, we yeah. found a couple more in Ohio um, and just really started to kind of do the, the tour, if you will, because we really enjoyed it. We liked, you know, seeing different dogs, different guides, different habitat, um, and just, you know, the experience. It's not out there going to kill the birds, you know. It was really just kind of like the whole thing, the big picture. Mm-hmm. And you loved that. Yeah, that was great. Then, so, but as far as Charlie's real hunting. Wild. Yeah, the wild hunting. If you, you want to come back to your full question about how do we really get into hunting. So we've been doing, we did those preserves for quite a bit. And then I was invited by my brother-in-law and his cousin to join them on one of their ventures up there to Wisconsin. And we thought about taking Charlie, uh, but you were still 10, I think. Yeah, I was 10 at the time. And then we thought, okay, we're going to be running through about 11 miles a day, some really thick cover, some tough terrain. And we thought it's probably a little early for him to do something like that for a first wild hunt. Mm-hmm. So I went up alone and tested the waters. And then when I came back, I said, all right, we got to do wild hunting, Charlie. This is this is for you. Preserves are great. And we still do them and we still love them. But I said, we got we to try it on our own. So we were thinking, I think it coincided with dove season. We, was, we were thinking about yeah. the following year. We're thinking, okay, what, what's the first thing that comes up? And in Ohio, we've got the doves, which I guess you guys don't, right? Yeah, um, that's, that's a whole podcast. Which is kind of crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I, yes, I heard that one. And it's like, what the heck? But we, uh, so we ended up, um, I ended up calling the outdoor writer for the Cleveland Plain Dealer. That would be the, I guess, the newspaper of record if, you know, mm-hmm. people are still reading newspapers these days and such. But he'd been around for a very, very long time. And uh, I said, look, we're thinking about going on public land and trying to do some dove hunting. And I want to let my son try some wild, uh, wild hunting. And what was his response to that? His response was, can't be, can't do that. Just because dove on public land, it's crazy. Because we specifically here, we have specific dove fields, like at uh, certain wildlife areas. 
Mm -hmm. and during dove season they get shot up pretty heavily and you're bound to get rained down with some shot (laughs) (laughs) i I won't say that's not happening to me he said definitely don't do that he said but i'll tell you what i got an outfitter i know down in summit county or sorry medina Medina. county medina county so it's about an hour or 15 minutes away south of cleveland and we're like all right i'll call this guy we'll figure it out and um we have we have then we we did dove with him and is an interesting outfitter because he offers uh i guess a lot of different quarry if you will yeah it's uh flyway outfitters mm-hmm. guy by the name of chris grant mm-hmm. great guy he does everything like we'll usually start off the season with doves in september and then we'll move on to waterfowl later we'll sometimes try deer even though i'm not a big deer hunter i like <laughs> i like to stay moving or I like bird hunting, really. And then uh, then late season, we'll do goose uh, and snow. That always ends up into a late February hunt, early February hunt. And that's always real cold, and there's nothing flying anyways. And then uh, we'll do turkey in the spring, and then sometimes we'll do coyotes in the summer with him. So he offers a pretty good range. Yeah, okay. so it's kind of, you know, from shooting sports to preserves on into, you know, wild. And then that wild has led to a bunch of trips that we've kind of been planning or at least so, did we done and we have other ones planned. But um, that's kind of an evolution. Let, let's kind of get into a, a little bit here and have you kind of explain this. But what was the beyond the, the one thing where your uncle and and and. Uh, just kind of brought you out and said, you got to try this. Was there any appeal really in hunting? Once you had done it a little bit, was it just the fun and the excitement? Was there, I mean, some people can, can pick it up and put it back down with, with hunting, you know, or even certain kinds of hunting. What was it about your first few experiences that was like, all right, this is something we're definitely going to be doing a lot of. What kind of tripped that trip? Well, initially I'd say... Initially, I'd say it was the dogs for sure, because I love I I always love dogs. I'm a big dog person, but like being able to see them and see what they do and like they're fulfilling their instincts. And like when you go hunting, you're doing the same thing. Like Mm -hmm. that's what we're here to do, really. We like the uh, I think the guides and the interaction with the guides was always something that really was interesting to us. We learned a lot. We like that camaraderie. Um, again, you know, it's like it's great that you're going to, you know, take down a bird and then have it and eat it. And we love that. But, you know, it's, it's more about just the whole big picture. You're showing up. You're in your hunter orange. You're meeting your guide for the first time. You're in, they introduce you to the dog. Uh, and then you're looking at this different habitat and... I tell you, it was just such a thrill. And, and, and you're spending hours. I mean, well, that, we were fortunate, I guess, because um, we haven't really had this bad experience, but we've heard about the experiences where some places kind of say, okay, you're a 10 to 1 hunt or a 2 to 5 hunt, and, you know, the birds are screwed down pretty tight in, in the ground, and it just feels a little artificial. Um, but our experiences... I don't know why. Maybe we're just lucky, yeah. uh, but they have been. They've been pretty good. They've been very quality, and that whole thing where nobody's in a rush, and we're like, "Well, that one got away. Let's go chase that one down." And you know, we'll spend hours, and the guides are very, you know, 
meaningful about that. You know, they're yeah, like, it's like a market and we'll come back to it later type of deal. Mm -hmm. And when that's not give up on it. And if we find over, you know, some extras that were left over from other hunts and things like that, we'll just spend a lot of time out there and the conversations I think that we have with yeah. everybody. You learn a lot from talking with guides for sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But we it definitely, we got bit by the bug right away. And, um, boy, if we could, if all we could do is hunt, that's what we bird hunt. That's what we do. <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> my, my interest in deer hunting kind of peaked again about a week ago or a little less than that when I finally checked the trail cam behind the house. And I don't know if I've seen too many bucks with a rack quite that big, but again, I might only sit three or four hours at a time. The, the, the same thing too. What do I want to do in October? Sit here with a crossbow or, oh boy, there's, there's a lot going on. But we, fall is always a jam time for us, trying to get all the hunts in and all the trips. Mm -hmm. And deer hunting just takes up a lot of time. Well, we'll we'll usually just do the Ohio has that you know the youth uh, weekend, mm -hmm. and that is what we do we do for Charlie. And I think we're over two or over three. We're over two. <laughs> oh no! Well, he he won't. Well, I, well, I I passed on a couple of deer, but. I mean, for my, not to be picky, not to seem picky, but for my first year, I do want it to be a buck. <laughs> I mean, after that, I'm just hunting for meat at that point, but yeah. for my first year, I want it to be a buck. But well, I can, I can respect that decision. My, my first year, my dad said, you shoot any brown one that gets in bow range? And I nodded my head, yup, okay. <laughs> and, uh, and it, it turned into a meat harvesting frenzy over the next five or six years, but, uh. <laughs> And then it took a while to get a nice buck. I mean, it took 15 years because I got into the habit of, I'm bored, I'm, I, this is boring, and I'm cold, and now I want to move, and that, that deer's warm. And, and, that, and yeah. That and is I like, exactly us. Yeah, and I like eating venison, so I'm not going to be too yeah. selective. Yep. Well, tell, tell Joe what happened last year with so, those yeah. three. That last year, we had uh, three big does. And we were up in the, we were up in the, uh, actually we were in a ground blind at the time yeah. and there were three deer coming by all those. Uh, and dad texts the outfitter, Chris Grant, uh, there's three does. What, what are we going to do? And he goes, pick the biggest one and kill it. <laughs> yep. and th at that point I was thinking about it, but then I was like, uh, I'm going to wait. And I didn't have a clean shot on though at that point. I did before, but we were waiting for the text. He's got his he's got his principles. He wants the buck first. Uh, yep. Well. But, we, but at the end of the day, that's not really our. I might thing, be waiting really. for a while, but we're we're oh. the bird. I think we're the bird and waterfowl guys. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So yeah, that that camaraderie and the the dog work, things like that. That that's a universal thing. Um, especially people that get bit by the small game bug. Um, and like you said, too, the body language, all the things that go into it um, make it a very appealing thing to begin with. Um, and you've kind of went in there a little bit with one of the things in my notes, and I wanted to have a, without naming, because in this case you said you haven't really had a bad experience, but observations and uh, maybe comparisons uh, between what preserves can maybe can offer 
as well as a little bit too, as far as the experience, as well as the learning curve, what does a preserve do for the learning curve of getting into the sport? Uh, so far, so Hoskins Creek Game Birds, they shut down a while ago. The uh, farmer that she had the handshake agreement with, he, uh, he died, and then the son didn't really honor that agreement. So now she's out in Idaho. So that one's kind of out of the picture now. But uh, the two main preserves that we like to go to right now are Bullseye, Pheasant uh, and Duck. They're uh, down in a little bit southern Ohio, I'd like to say. And uh, then the other one is Colebrook, Colebrook Ranch. That's, uh, that's a really nice one. They, primary, they only do pheasants, actually. Mm-hmm. But the thing that I like about Colebrook is that he plants the best cover ever. He plants all sorghum, and then he he has a he has sorghum, corn, and then soy in between the sections. Hmm. And he has it broken up into three sections. Uh, actually, four if you, yeah. So he has two sections that are both like sorghum strips that are really good to work with, especially with our dog. She likes to range back and forth, so we put one on one side and one on the other, and then she'll come back and forth between us. Your dogs, <laughs> right on cue. That's one of the million rabbits in my yard, probably knocking on a window. Uh, speaking our of, girl, uh, our, yeah, our girl delivered uh, four bunnies to hand uh, at the back door this winter. That was interesting. Oh no! Yeah, that was an experience. She's a really soft mouth, though, so we just put yeah. in the back. No mm-hmm. harm to the no harm to the rabbit. Yep. Yeah, my, my short hair does not deliver live animals, but uh, he does not also get out and get after the bunnies. We keep him in the yard, and he's been, the older he gets, the more attentive, but at That's a certain fun. point there, being a Habitat fan, I have, like, Rabbit's version of Los Angeles around me, and <laughs> it doesn't matter what time of day, they're in the yard, they're under the truck, and every now and then one of them sees one and it's hard not to see them, really. But that's oh yeah. <laughs> also, uh, a great thing about Colebrook Ranch is uh, he gets all the guides before the season really starts up to get out there in the sorghum, and they'll grab it with one arm, take the other arm, and fold it over. So that way, there's like little teepees all around, hmm. and that'll make the cover last all throughout the winter. So you can basically hunt there all winter long without the cover being beaten down. Mm-hmm. And he also has, because he has such great cover, a lot of his birds there are still alive and they're all running through the cover. So if you, like, only order 12 birds, you could get, like, 20 or something like that. Well, they have a tower shoot, I think, uh, at these events every now and then. And Mm -hmm. guys are... So you have a lot of these leftovers that are around there if if your timing is right and... uh, and that's kind of that's kind of nice, but that place is it's, it's uh, smaller, um, but very, very homey and very folksy. And he has about three guides, sometimes four. So if you go there regularly, you kind of establish this relationship with the guides, and then you get to know their dogs because they bring their own dogs. Mm-hmm. And then we've actually established relationships with one guide in particular there, who said, "Hey, you know, when you want to go public land hunting on some releases." give me a call and I'll bring the dogs and we'll all go out and whatever. So, I mean, we have, 
you know, good, these become like long-standing bonding friendships. Yeah. So that, that that was the one example, but the other one down in the other one central Ohio, yeah. that's uh, got a different habitat. That they're trying to almost be. I mean, nothing's going to replicate grouse woods, but they're more forested, hmm. and it's kind of interesting down there. Yeah, uh, the bird they also offer uh, a lot of different types of birds. So they have a uh, like they have preserved duck hunting there, which is kind of a different type of thing, <laughs> where they like release the ducks from up high, and uh, yeah, but <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty good uh, dog training, but. We don't like to do that as much as we do other things. So we mm -hmm. do the quail there and the chucker there. And they have really, really hard flying quail down there. Well, the, the operation they have is... I yeah, mean, they is have... Like, is that about an acre? They have a, a square acre of fenced in, I mean, netted uh, bird cover mm. where they just keep all their birds. They raise them all there. They feed them. They have massive feeding systems. And... Their kennels are incredible. They have about 30 or 40 dogs there. And they so, they work them all. So unlike, say, the other one we were talking about, you know, when we're comparing all these, you get a little bit of everything. You have the one that's kind of folksy and small, the guys who bring their dogs. Then you go to this other one, it's, uh, it's, still, it's all family run, but they have so many dogs that every time you go, you don't know kind of who you're going to be hunting with. Um, whether it's a GSP or a, a lab or, I mean, they usually do a combo, obviously. They do a pointer and a flusher at, at mm -hmm. that particular location. They have, like, wire hairs, labs, Brittany Spaniels, mm -hmm. Springer Spaniels, mm -hmm. uh, German short hairs, of course. Mm -hmm. They have hmm. an assortment of dogs and also an assortment of birds. Like, they have, I forget the technical name, but they have the black pheasants that are oh, pretty yeah. cool. Yep, melanistic. They also... Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. They have uh, white pheasants. They have all sorts of crazy stuff in their <laughs> pheasant category. And then they also have ten uh, Tennessee reds, quail, uh, bob whites, and then, of course, chucker. But So they have a pretty good bird offering down there. So when we look at the preserves, we look at them kind of like, okay, who's best for what? And, um, you know, whether it's bird variety or the kind of cover we want to try to practice in because, um, it, yeah, I mean, it's not wild hunting. We all know, but it's still, there's something about watching your dog work, training your dog on those birds. Um, there's still always a surprise with the flush and choosing the different habitat and things like that. It's, you know, for us, we consider it great fun, but still, you know, better than just going to the clays course before mm -hmm. we go out on a hunting trip. You know, it's like, because uh, controlling everything at the same time, you know, whistles. And, and it's uh, it's far harder, at least with our dog, it's far harder to control her on a uh, in a preserve than in the wild because there's scent everywhere. And she's always trying to chase old scent and stuff. So we're trying to get her to decipher between that. But uh, it, she's much better in, in a wild setting. She ranges really closely. But we've been... Uh, We've been pulling her back in the preserve, and she's been ranging pretty nicely recently. Okay, so we've, we've mentioned the dog now twice. What kind of dog do you have? How old is it? We have a British Lab. She is four. Four and a half. Four and a half mm. now. Yep. And, she, well, actually, truth be told, we, we weren't thinking about getting the dog. 
Um, we, we marveled at them, but given like where we were in life, you know, uh, with our business and with the kids and where they were in school and one going to college and all this kind of stuff. We're like, and, and by the way, just like we didn't grow up in a hunting family, we didn't grow up with any dogs. Uh, nobody had any in the family, anything like that. But we've seen them in action and we became enamored with this idea. And uh, my wife has become the biggest enabler to us, which is great. Yeah. So <laughs> she said, she says, you guys got to stop, you know, wussying out on this stuff. And we got to start looking for one. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah, I said, but you know, I kind of like, I'd like an older dog, something that's already kind of seasoned. And cause I'm not sure I'm, I'm really up for going from zero to 60 on this. And lo and behold, she found a breeder who had a two and a half year old dog who uh, from the outset was supposed to be something that was going to be a breed. Uh, they were going to breed this dog, came from great lineage. And um, apparently somewhere in the past, another sibling had a heart disorder. So mm-hmm. therefore, according to the American Kennel Club, she could not be bred or something like that. So it just became a house dog, really, to this breeder yeah. and her husband, who really took the dog around from what we were told, just doing a little bit of pheasant hunting, a little bit of waterfowl, but not much. It was kind of a, but it was well-trained. The dog was a, um, she was being trained to breed. You know, it was an American Kennel Club junior champ. Uh, has all, it, it came like fully loaded. It's like a car we bought, fully loaded. I mean, it sits to whistle. Uh, it, it runs blinds amazingly incredible retrieves it can mark things incredibly well mm-hmm. and so my wife's like look i found this dog they call it a finished dog we could pry it away from the breeder it wasn't for sale i kind of told her what your situation was and she had sympathy for you and charlie and so <laughs> we so we picked up this dog and she's been a joy um probably uh now we're two years ago Right, so yeah. we got her at two and a half, and she's at four and a half now. British Lab, so it's kind of like you've got the shorter legs and uh, around fifty-five pounds. It's not mm-hmm. going to be some husky thing. Yep. This dog, how would you? De- she's she's a knuckling she's dog. She's light, but she's she's definitely she's impatient. She doesn't like to wait around for waterfowl. She loves upland though. Mm-hmm. She loves to <laughs> range and run and all that stuff. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. And then we started to do all sorts of like research on like, I mean, cause she has papers and all that kind of stuff. And we're not into that. You know, we're not these snooty people with papers and, and, uh, and breeding and all this kind of stuff. We just thought this was the greatest dog that fell into our lap. And we were very happy about that, but we started to do a little bit of research on her and it was hilarious what you find out there. And we found like her grandfather doing hunt tests in the United Kingdom. Everybody's in tweeds and things. And then the father, the father was yeah. another one. Yeah, so they have all these great names. And we've actually emailed people over overseas and said, hey, we're like a descendant of so-and-so. Anything you can tell us about your dog and things like that. And the responses we've gotten are great. And <laughs> I, I, the, the one is on Facebook, climbing up a hill. They East get, Dale Harry. East Dale Harry. Yeah, anybody should Google that one. And the other one is Arc Glass Taylor. Those two yeah. dogs, if you go on there, one's on YouTube, one's on Facebook, everybody's got their little hats they're and their tweeds and tests. they're blowing whistles and the thing's climbing a mountainside, turning around on a whistle, looking which way to, to go, and they're casting them left and right. And oh, yeah. it's fast. 
it's fascinating. So I think she got a little bit of that, obviously. Oh, yeah. Uh, yep. so, so we're a little spoiled when it comes to the dog. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. So so you started out, you, you did the shooting, you went into the preserves, and you mentioned it a little bit with the guide offering to go out on a release program. I being being a Michigan snob and and you you cleared my Ohio filter by not being Buckeye fans. So, <laughs> you know, we always think of it as we have the opportunity up here and and the rest of anyone south of us kind of, you know, plays with truck birds anyway, but tell me a bit about the the release program, right? You you're, if there are sportsmen in Ohio, you have to have something besides just preserves. Oh yeah. Yeah, so ODNR uh, releases about 14,000 birds uh, every year. They, I believe they start off with two um, youth releases. Two youth releases. And then they move into, uh, they're all in November. Three November. They have one early in the month. Uh, then Veterans then Day. Then Veterans Day. And then Thanksgiving. Yeah. And, um... They'll, they'll all be released on... That's uh, that's at least the situation for a Grand River Wildlife Area. Oh, that's, that's statewide. Oh, that's statewide? Yeah, okay. yeah. Well, so that's, that's, so that's in... Uh, so they'll, they'll, they'll do that those five on uh, wildlife management areas, uh, those five releases every year. Mm-hmm. And, oh boy, um, it's congested, to say the least. Uh, <laughs> people... <laughs> That that day, if you go the day of the release, <laughs> uh, so we, we've called the DNR people, and they basically take them and they release them the night before. And as the, it's it, as it's been explained to us, they pull up the truck, they open the boxes, and whatever. I mean, there's no planting or anything going on. It's just like okay, free for all, and the pheasants are just out there running running around. And the one place we go is seven thousand seven thousand acres. Of which I think about five or six hundred is where they primarily target the releases mm-hmm. of the pheasants, and so we'll go out there. Um, the first time we did it, though, it was shocking as far as the number of people. Yeah, everywhere. Just you could just drive through, and you're guaranteed to see just a huge group of orange vests in every single field. Hmm. So kind of the the antenna went up on safety at that point. <laughs> And, yeah, and uh, I'm like Charlie, let's let's pump the brakes on this and let this thing kind of uh, wind its way out, and let's come back in a day or two or something like that. And we've been kind of doing it that way, where we'll go two or three days later, maybe four days later, sometimes a week later. And these seem to be pretty hardy birds because they'll still we'll still kick up one or two. Yeah, after about, and it also depends on where you go, like. If you walk really deep into like some boggier areas, you'll find some birds in those areas where nobody else really wants to go. Mm-hmm. So we'll walk back there and our dog will flush them up. But it'll take, I mean, we'll, we'll basically spend three to four hours going through some of the nastiest cover. Um, I mean, it's unfortunately, uh, I, a lot of this is just wild growth. Uh, they're not out there trying to uh, do sorghum or corn or something like that that mm-hmm. you know would kind of fit the whole picture. So you have a good uh, natural. It's just great natural cover. 
Oh, it's it's crazy what it is. I yeah. mean, yeah, I mean the dog is bleeding, uh, the the tongue, you know. <laughs> yep. I mean, it's like we're getting cut up, we're scratched, and we're fighting. We got burrs all over. Yeah, we got us. a lot of thorns <laughs> <laughs> everywhere. Yeah. But at the end of the day, you know, it's like uh, you can well tell Joe about the the last time when yeah. So our our Michigan. Uh, compadre there my brother-in-law came in and we went uh over thanksgiving uh we so we're probably like four days after the release so you know that the, the place has been crawled all over and mm-hmm. so we were looking around and then the dude who drove down the road with the pickup pick yeah he was uh driving by and we were walking uh we were walking into a spot at the time and he drove by and he stopped and he was like I don't think they put out as many birds as they were supposed to because <laughs> he couldn't find any birds. And then <laughs> at that point, we, we were walking for two hour, two or three hours. Easy. Yeah. And uh, like, I don't know, half an hour later, in the middle of a field, we flushed up a couple of birds and we were like, I don't know what that guy's talking about. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, they'll, they'll, so, I mean, they have... I don't know. They it's a fine enough job. I mean, they release the birds. It gives you the opportunity, mm-hmm. um, but people really do get over, you know, overly excited and hit it real hard, real early on that first day. And so we've come to just realize they'll still be out there, you know. And it actually kind of makes it a little bit more of a challenge because they're busy running further, hiding deeper, and it gives us mm-hmm. the opportunity to just. Uh, cover some serious miles and then watch the dog work, you know, and that's really kind of, I think what we're trying to get out of it, you know, rather than just some of the guys just run out there and like, Oh, there they are. Bang, bang. You know, it's just like, okay. Now, do they allow you then to harvest hens and roosters at that point? That's so a great question. Okay. Here's <laughs> my whole problem with the pheasant release. <laughs> they do not release hens at okay. all. Yep. So they only release roosters. Mm-hmm. But our cover is, I think, suitable enough to give, like, some of these a chance. You yeah, know? it would give them a chance. Some of it is really thick, and like, we're thinking, why don't they do both sexes just to see what might we've, transpire? We've had the same conversation here in Michigan a bit. Um, really? And and the pheasants forever hasn't weighed in officially, but when you when you talk to some of your friends from the the group. Um, They've studied this for the same reason, right? Why can't we release both? If we release both, we can manipulate cover to become habitat because there's a huge difference. And if we can get habitat, we can just dump birds in it and they'll propagate. Uh, scientifically, we've determined they don't. Um, yeah. Wow. The, the number, well, the pheasants you're getting aren't wild. They, they never were. Their parents weren't. Um, the DNA doesn't have that same survival instinct mm. to the level of the original birds we brought over from uh, Szechuan a uh, hundred years ago were wild pheasants and they knew to run for your life more than other birds. And that's around. And that's my, my paraphrasing somebody else's. So this is like third party work, but you know, the, the chances of survival are under 1%. Mm. Oh, wow. And, and what you do is I've, I've listened to a biologist from Western Kentucky who the question was posed the same for quail. If we dump more quail out, we'll get more quail. And he says, you've trained the hawks to kill quail. Ah. When you provide an opportunity of a certain variety and the predators then attune to that opportunity, 
they'll focus on it more than the other ones. And he says, my wild quail become in danger because you've told the hawks that quail are easier than rabbits and squirrels and anything else. And he says, the best you can do is provide so many rabbits and squirrels, they leave my quail alone. <laughs> and, and he's in a way, he's right, right? We can attune our yeah. predator system to look for something else, and, and that's the value of good habitat, right? You come out of it bleeding, you're worn out, everything on you is scratched up. If you're a predator, because you are, the better you can do with the cover the better chances of survival are. But again, that instinct isn't in a lot of these, these pen birds. Um, mm -hmm. Now I've seen a few that have given me my run for my money though, too. There's always a few that run and, uh, yeah. and, and we call them vendetta birds because at a certain point, you know where the rest of them are and that one got away. You know what? 15 minutes worth of walking is worth it. Let's go get him. And uh, it's, but, now you do still have uh, some wild pheasant though in Michigan. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. In fact, I read a good article in uh, Michigan Out of Doors uh, on online. It was from Ben Beeman, one of our pheasants forever um, gentlemen, one of the high ups in our in our state, and uh, they are there. We've we've put over a decade of work into good cover, and a lot of it's on state mm -hmm. land because you can always work on cover on state land, and it doesn't have any effect. Uh, the agricultural community doesn't have any effect on my state land. So they can yeah. manipulate and restore habitat, and it's going to stay there. It's not like a CRP where you might get it, and then it'll unenroll in 10 years or whatever else. This is mm -hmm. this is ours, and they're there. Like I said earlier before we started recording, I have a tail fan from one here on the wall. Um, and yeah. they, they are there, and I'll, I'll admit my dogs aren't that great at them because it's going to school going after a wild Michigan rooster and it's tough. Like we lose way more often than we've won. And, uh, that's part of the challenge of it though, is, is me not understanding what my dog's nose is telling my dog. And, uh, it's, it's magnificent fun. And it is above, it's, it's above my grade. Like, like I'll admit it. I get, I get scolded when I go out after Michigan wild roosters. Um. <laughs> well, the, the sad thing, the sad thing here is that when we talk to the guides who are probably, what, how old's Tom, those guys, probably mid-60s? Mid-60s, So yeah. some of the guys are probably mid-60s, and they, they will tell you that we had pheasants all over the place, and literally quail. right around here, and quail, uh, really about uh, in the 90s, mm -hmm. which I think is a kind of a common thread that you hear. We still have, uh, talking to the Pheasants Forever guys down in the Columbus area, so central Ohio, they have a couple wildlife areas down there, and they do have wild down there still, which is great. So we're, we're going to try to go test the waters and see what that's all about. It's not <laughs> abundant, believe me. It's like, you know, yeah. we're, it's a, we're, that'd take us like two and a half hours, three hours to get down there. Probably hunt three hours and maybe kick up one or two if you're lucky. But, mm -hmm. you know, that's something that, you know, we'd like to see more of and we'd like to see if we can bring some of that back but up in here up here because we're in the northeast uh, northeast ohio area so district three of the odnr area and we don't have anything really wild to speak of we do have some woodcock woodcock oh, yeah. that'll come yeah. through good yeah as far as upwind goes yeah so that that's something but uh grouse no otherwise that's why i think you're getting Not coming really. full circle on your question that's why i get so many people showing up for these releases to Mm -hmm. go chase chase all these things now 
Another thing, then you have Woodcock. What time of year usually are they coming down through there? Because I'm still elbow deep in them late October. Mm, we're going to be uh, early to mid-October. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, but they, they, they're by this one. That, well, they're kind of closer to the Pennsylvania border because uh, we're so far east. You know, Cleveland's so far northeast. Mm-hmm. So we're in, it's basically the month of October is when they're kind of rolling through here. Yeah. Yeah. Really? Yeah. That seems, it seems early to me because I'm in the UP third week of October. Mm-hmm. And my flesh counts would indicate that a lot of those birds, unless they fly directly from me to you, are going to be mid-November before they hit Ohio. Yeah, I, I that's what that's what the guides are telling us. Seeing them where they are, and they're in this wet, yeah. mucky areas oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. of these, uh, and like where we've got. I mean, you almost got to go waders. I think you know to kind of go through some of those areas. Yeah, you got to have your hip boots on, otherwise yeah. you're not getting them. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, but that's that's probably the only thing that's really kind of coming through here outside of waterfall. You know, the on the migration course. side. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Huh. That would be that would be interesting. I've always I was thought they moved our season, of course, forward um, to coincide with our grouse season, at least the okay. openers. So we have forty five days from September fifteenth, and and then I started looking at what my experiences were with woodcock, and I thought there's no way that they hardly get to southern Michigan before the end of season. You know, the the beginning of the migration will, but that big wave that I've found towards the end of migration is usually the first week of November to hit the the Ann Arbor to St. Joseph line, so a few counties north of the, the border. But, you know, that would be something for you guys to maybe think about, too. If Yeah. If you no, can that get does in there. I, we, we've, never, we've never haunted them. We've got no? uh, some, some, some of the guides said, you know, we'll be happy to show you our old haunts when we were young kids and where, you know, I know you can get back in the, the muck and go try to figure them out and chase them. But, um yeah, I don't know. We we also follow on Facebook some of these uh, Ohio Upland bird pages and things like that. People are seeing them back this summer. They're seeing them coming back. I guess I don't know, going yeah. in the opposite direction or what have you. And they were yeah. they were sighting them in. When were they coming back and looking? It was uh, when were we scouting? Julyish? Maybe it was in July. They were coming back through Ohio or something like that. But wow. Yeah, they, it's uh, people said I can't believe it, and they're sending pictures like this was in my backyard and blah blah blah. So that's that's strange. I had heard, I was at a seminar, a little a mini seminar, with our DNR Saturday, and they were talking about possibly even the Rough Grouse Society, American Woodcock Society. Uh, ben Jones was there as well, and he said that they had had an instance <laughs> of nesting in Louisiana. So prior to that northern migration, a bird huh. had nested. So we usually see them April, May. In fact, I, I usually hear the sky dancing in my backyard because it's a, a meadow transition, a meadow transition to forest, which is exactly what they want. Um, yeah. And that's that early spring, right after snowfall for about a month, I can listen to them in the yard. You see one in July in Ohio. That bird yeah. had a, that bird had a nest in June or, or late, yeah. you know, late May or maybe even early May, but you know, that's exciting to see them nesting somewhere. Usually, you, we would have thought they would have migrated much further north, but uh, yeah, getting an extra so, bird on the ground is a good idea anywhere you can get it. Yeah, our season for them is October, early October, like October eight to. I think this year they this is what it's like October eight to like December one or something like that. Okay. So that's kind of the, so you're right. I mean, so as far as a sweet spot, I guess November, but 
people are seeing them in that October time frame because yeah. that's when they open it up. Yeah. Although I don't know, we every time we go out hunting, it seems like everything every year we always say, "Don't judge." Uh, yeah, the, se- the seasons are always. <laughs> they should always be later than they actually are. Like we're we're so our duck season. Oh. Uh, I don't know when it it ends sometime in December and. Usually directly after that, for some reason, we'll hit a warm spot and there'll be like open water mm-hmm. and it's just covered with ducks. And we're yeah. like, what's going on with this season? There's, there has been no arguing more often than, you know, Michigan's a tall state. Ohio's kind of a tall state too, right? North to south. Yeah. And uh, you want to you get people mad and fighting somewhere. It's a Uper duck hunter and a southern southwest <laughs> Michigan duck hunter. And those two seasons couldn't be more different from what they want. And uh, deer hunters do fight more, but that's that's deer hunting. But my goodness, the the arguing I get to see over that, you know, the, the rest of the seasons, everyone kind of, they're all sportsmen about it. They all get along. You know, everyone's in it for the fun and the enjoyment. And then, oh, then the rants start for those two groups. But, uh, yeah, it, I can never time the migration right other than, wood ducks and this year i'm planning a day or two for teal we finally a few years ago did solidify a teal season and uh, for the longest time you had to go to ohio to get a teal season yeah oh yeah sandusky area sandusky for sure if you go west over there by the lake that's crazy over there yeah and uh we'll see we'll see a few over by we'll see a few but usually that's even before season actually opens up like when we're scouting we'll see them and then as soon as early season nothing <laughs> <laughs> right I've... the only season that ohio actually has right is probably goose just because it <laughs> it's so long there's plenty of time to get them somewhere in that oh, no. <laughs> by the time it ends it's all frozen anyway so they're not even here uh, we i believe this year we have somewhere like 120 goose days between the federal allowed season and then they allow the state to pick early and late seasons we can hunt them all September. That opens uh, down in, in our zone, the southern zone. It opens up, I think, the 15th. is that Saturday the 15th. It'll open up there, go all the way to the beginning. Or no, it goes through deer season, the rifle season. Ends up closing early December. Opens again later for, I think, another two weeks near February for the early residents that try to come back early. I mean, getting a goose, if you can put the miles in and do the driving... There is a season open almost all fall plus winter, and uh, I love it. it. It's great in the canner. It's great for tacos, but at the same time, I'm I'm going to focus on my better eating birds, teal, grouse, woodcock, this year again. We love goose hunting just because that's the only thing that we have in significant numbers. <laughs> the rest of it is all few and far between, and it usually just depends on what kind of cold front we're getting. And but I, we have to, I'm usually in school when those come by. We have to agree with Joe about eating. That's eating, uh, yeah. We eat everything. Eating has like to that be. That one needs some uh, extra special preparation. <laughs> There's we do we do a good pulled goose barbecue though. That, oh, yeah. Your yeah, mom does. Pretty good. Yep. I mean, you can you can dress it up a little bit, but uh, yeah, I'm with you. Yep. I'd rather have the ducks. Smoke you ever, it. <laughs> you ever tried to do poppers? I've gotten annoyed just with the simple amount of work to a goose popper and and poppers i would never do to other good meat but goose it's strong enough that a popper isn't overpowering and 
and I appreciate the flavor of a popper. I grow, I have three jalapeno plants out in the yard, but it was such a nuisance. I, I, there's more prep work to eating. I can eat a goose and a half, but it takes me two hours to put poppers together. I, I found it with, I have an old meat slicer and you turn the breast sideways in the meat slicer and do slabs, right? So they're the size of almost a loaf of bread, pound them flat with a meat hammer. So they're good and tender. Spread your cream cheese and diced peppers on the inside. So you still have all the pepper ingredients, the cream cheese, the jalapeno. If you do a little raspberry preserve in there, you get the sweet and the tart with the spicy and the creamy. Roll it up, wrap it in bacon, and grill it that way. You can go through, you can make them five times faster, and they're just as good. That sounds sounds like a good treatment. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. We do dove popper. Yep. Yeah, we do the dump poppers, we do pheasant, but those are good eating on their own. Oh, yeah. So, too. Yep. I mean, yeah, but yeah, the goose, I don't know. The first year we had the goose, we loved it. Yeah. Second year, I don't well, know. Well, first year we had a real late season goose. Yeah. Like real, real late season goose. Like it was like it was February 5 or something. It was lasted. So, yeah. February 8th. Yeah, so yeah have, February 8th. So, you had agriculturally fed goose. <laughs> lots yeah. of lots of and that corn. That tasted pretty good. Yeah, the, the <laughs> early ones. It was a big ones. one too. It was a big honker. <laughs> yep, the early ones that are on you know golf course greens and stuff like that have a little different flavor. Yeah, but that's the... I think what we uh, witnessed <laughs> this year. <laughs> yeah, uh, so, it kind of turned everybody off. <laughs> so so being bit by the let's move along here <laughs> before it turns into another cooking episode, which I I don't think people mind. But uh, <laughs> trying to tell your story here, you've went from the, the opportunities in Ohio, the, the preserves that prepared you for it. You've, you've mentioned it two trips. You've decided to really kind of go all out now over then the last few years. So uh, the first trip that we took was with our outfitter, Chris Grant. Mm-hmm. He organized a trip. He, does, he usually does it every year out to North Dakota, Devil's Lake specifically. Hmm. And that was the first time that I experienced a lot in wild hunting and waterfowl. That's that's my first everything in wild hunting, really. For us, that's about, uh, well, we break it up. It's a two-day drive. When he gets his driver's license, it'll be better. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> we, ended up, uh, we ended up breaking that up. We stopped somewhere in, somewhere in Wisconsin. Yeah. Uh, near the University of Wisconsin, near Madison, for us. Mm-hmm. Next day, roll into Devil's Lake. That is kind of where we uh, based ourselves, mm-hmm. uh, which we've read good stuff about, uh, known as the Pothole Prairie region. Yep. And uh, we certainly learned that those potholes are not small. I mean, those are ginormous lakes that are out there. Fantastic. Uh, the experience was something that we never had before. The landscape itself is just amazing you're driving through like spirit lake indian uh, can you say that native american whatever whatever is politically correct going through the reservation i mean Mm -hmm. it's fantastic and you have all this water everywhere uh then fields but what we would do is we'd start the morning or very obviously very early and go waterfowl hunting and set up over a pothole and we'd be there like 4.35, something like that. Do that till... You'd do that until 10. probably 10.30, you know, ish. Head back to uh, duck camp, bird camp, whatever you want to call it, because it was a combo. Yeah. Change into the upland gear. And then head on out, 
and uh, look at some of the Pheasants Forever um, lands that they had, some other public lands, or private lands, I should say, because yeah, out there you're obviously allowed to to hunt anything that's not... We have. Yeah, walk-in hunting areas, plots. They have so many... Um, monikers for all the things that are available to hunters out and there. also uh but we would do pheasants you're allowed to hunt private land out there too mm-hmm. without mm-hmm. needing permission or anything like that as long as it's not posted mm-hmm. now they have the electronically posted but that that makes it a little bit harder but you can there's still a lot of really really open land out there we'd, we'd hunt those pheasants then for hours in the afternoon and um charlie got his first out there First wild pheasant. Yeah, three old guys, and then Charlie's lucky thing flushed at the end of one of the one of the wind uh, pine rows. Pine rows came right out. Boom, takes it down. We're like, son of a gun. We're all out. <laughs> it's like, give it to the little guy. <laughs> but uh, I think you were eleven or something at the time. That was ridiculous. But um, then we just went back, and no joke, we'd slip back on the uh, the camo, and we'd head back in before the sun went down. And we'd set up one more time, just kind of for like an early evening waterfowl hunt again. When they're heading back to the roost. It makes for a long day, an exhausting day, but a fun day. And then eventually, you know, then it's just story time, you know, around uh, the camp and things like that. But that was our, that was our really, our epic long journey. And we're going to do that again this year. Um, But this time we're going to start up at Devil's Lake like we did last year. And then we're going to end up heading down towards i believe what's the city name we're going to be near we, we may break into south dakota near aberdeen mm-hmm. and uh try to try to rustle up something there but we're definitely going to head south uh the further south you go in north dakota so that i guess would be the southeast corner of it the better the habitat is and the better the the pheasants are obviously mm-hmm. up north by devil's lakes all waterfowl heaven uh, but they still do have some pheasant up there but that was a great one. So we'll be heading down. We're going towards uh, it's called a small town called Pingree, North Dakota. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. where we're going to be heading this year. That's uh, I heard that it has awesome pheasant hunting. But the thing that I mean, it's there's so much you learn. Like that trip, I think for you, for me, I learned everything that I know about like how to call, how to set up a decoy spread, like all sorts of tips and tricks, like all the advice that I could ever want, I learned on that trip. Because I was out, we were out there with how many other people? 12. Oh, there's probably about a dozen, I guess, at the, at, during the week that we were there. And um, interesting, there was a group from Detroit. Um, the Greeks. They, they were funny. Yeah, lots of good stories. It's, that's <laughs> the other thing that, you know, it's like, Charlie loves lots sitting around. He's like a, he's a, unfortunately, a person. he remembers too many of these things. That's the problem. So a lot, <laughs> lot of stories, a lot of whiskey going down, and uh, he, he, he hears all these things. It's funny, but, you know, yep. he, grew, he grew up quickly on that trip. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that, was a, that was a fun one, um, and, and we definitely want to go back and do that again uh, because, because of the things we saw were just amazing, and I, I would highly recommend North Dakota to, to anybody just because of the variety i guess that's the thing great. uh i mean despite uh, besides the um uh besides the pheasants though we saw huns and uh being newbies out there you know things are flushing and you're like what the heck was that you know it's just like you know we didn't even we didn't even fire on these things and they took off they do mm-hmm. have uh they have sage, sage grouse out there and we saw some we did but uh you're not allowed to shoot them yeah not yeah. Mm, 
I think you were the year before we went. Yeah, but not last year. And then yeah. not that year. Not and this. then you can't this year either because yeah. the numbers are really low. But it's it is kind of interesting work. just kind of being able to, I guess, the freedom when you compare it to just the Midwest situation and you drive out there and you're like, well, this uh, this isn't marked. So, you know, you're good to go. It's a, it's a whole different it's a whole different scenario when you're out there and you're like, this isn't posted and it, there's ducks everywhere. Just a, a lake that's just covered in ducks. It's incredible. Well, that's, that's a good thing. You yeah. Mentioned. So that was our first time seeing what they call a tornado. Mm-hmm. So when we were out on a plot um, and you know, these big hay bales rolled up on it and there's cattails over here and there's some water over there. And we're just walking around out there. And this was uh, with Charlie, his brother-in-law from Grand Rapids, and uh, his cousin from Iowa. And so we're all out there. All of a sudden, just the sky just turns black. And it's just like every – these these ducks are just circling and circling. So we all took cover behind yeah, one of those – the, behind the big hay And a <laughs> small group of redheads came in close, down lower than the rest of them. It was just like a fly-by shooting. We just we shot them. We got two. Yeah. Two beautiful redheads. And they ate great. Oh my lord! Yeah, and they were just beautiful, beautiful ducks. Beautiful ducks. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's but but to to that point, we harvested redheads, green wing teal, blue wing teal. Uh, well, the fishy one I didn't like. Spoonbills. 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 It has the meat texture, but it tastes like fish. Unfortunately, I'm really good at shooting those. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've shot two spoons. And then spoons. as the young yep. guy in the camp, Charlie is... Uh, I was the one. I was on cleaning duty, so I had to clean all the birds. Oh. And then I handed them to Dad, and he, uh, he prepped them for the meal. I was prep guy. And then we <laughs> ate... Uh, potatoes and duck every single night out there yeah it was great yeah those are great and pheasant too nice <laughs> right on right on in uh, great grandma's uh, cast iron skillet oh yeah everybody stood around everybody's telling stories about their uh, their day sipping a little something and ducks flying cooking potatoes being thrown in and oh yeah just just and then, and then you yeah, was like, all right, better get to bed because we're starting up tomorrow. And then just kind of hit pause, hit replay, you know, just do that. Mm-hmm. But that was our, that was, uh, I think it's uh, the people we met on that trip, you know, became like, uh, like we still text them. They still invite us to go to hunts elsewhere around the U.S. when they're going. For example, we just, uh, we just won a lottery at Mosquito Creek. It's a wildlife it's a area uh, about an hour and a half uh it's, it's basically on the ohio pennsylvania border hmm. and uh we're inviting one of the guys that we met out in north dakota out there yeah just to hunt, come hunt ducks with us oh, he's a great cleveland policeman and we just met him you know in the blind while we were hunting last year yep. became fast friends and he's like i got a boat i got this i got that you know it's just, it's that kind of thing that <laughs> really that hooks us yeah, I mean, it's really it's a blast Yep. So that was our big trip, and then we followed that up last year with a, uh, a venture into Iowa, uh, just because we have, obviously, through relatives, uh, we kind of call him our uncle, even though he's not blood, but we, we go to Uncle Harlan's place, 
uh, in Delaware, Iowa. Yeah. And they have a lot of public land around. Um, and he's got a great man cave set up at his, at his place. And so we, we did the drive out there. It was about 10, 10 and a half hours. Yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't bad compared to North Dakota. So yeah, we got out there and I, I expected it to be because North Dakota, at least where we were, was extremely flat. Mm-hmm. Just you could see for miles. And I was really surprised at how hilly Iowa was. Just massive rolling hills. Every, we were uh, northeast Iowa. Yeah. And just rolling hills of corn everywhere. Which is not necessarily, as we've come to learn, like the, the peak area, you know, for pheasants. Northwest is and then obviously southwest. But they're still there. And, mm-hmm. boy, we saw, we saw a number of them. And that was a real good opportunity for us to uh, come in full circle on our, on our girl, on our dog, for her to really kind of run, run wild there. And she, it worked. I mean, she, she flushed one. Oh, yeah. We all missed. <laughs> <laughs> it happens. Yep. Uh, but but, but we, we were able to harvest uh, some, some birds there, and that was really good. And, uh, and we just, the way we think about our travels is that, you know, if we have to go somewhere, we should always think in the back of our mind, is there a way to kind of work, uh, you know, a hunting expedition in, if you will. So Charlie's sister's in uh, college in North Carolina, and we came across, cast. I forget which one it was, I think it was called the Rowdy Huntsman Podcast. Oh, yeah, and I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know if they're doing anymore, but I really enjoyed when they were doing theirs a couple. Yep. And they talked to a guy who owns something called the Willis Quail Farm, hmm. and so it's interesting. They have wild quail there, but they'll also supplement. They'll they'll supplement it with others. So you know you're going to see some action, but it's a kind of a mix. You don't know what's happening. You know, it's like, is it planted? Is it not planted? What's going on? Uh, but it's called, uh, the guy, his name is Trey Wright and he's at scratch and dent kennels. And he's, uh, I forget the town specifically in, uh, in North Carolina. Uh, but, um, we, that's the first time we actually took our dog down, uh, to something that was kind of a wild hunt. And, you know, it could still be warm down there pretty late in the year, but she held up great. And that, those are were hard flying, low flying bob whites. Oh my lord! And the unique part of that place was what we hunted. Uh, it was a cotton farm. No, I meant excuse me, tobacco farm. <laughs> it was really well. He basically taught us all about the tobacco industry on our hunt there. Yeah, and how how they pick it, how everything happens, and like how they sell it, how they have to dry it out before, and all that. It was, it was a really educational experience. Yeah, so you had these tobacco fields on one portion, but then you had real good cover. Uh, mm-hmm. And then corn on another area. So it, a lot of agriculture going on out there. But fascinating to be walking your, on your way back through the hunt, just kind of walking through tobacco fields up close and personal and getting a whole tour of it. But that, that, was, a, that was a real interesting trip. It was. Yep. Yeah. Yep, I... I uh... I talked to the Rowdy Huntsman guys for a little while one day, and uh, some <laughs> uh, over a year ago probably, you know, talking about coming north and and uh, grouse and things like that. But uh, good guys down there. Yeah, so. yeah, they, they're they're really good guys. They hooked us up with Trey, 
that scratch and dent kennel, he'd be an interesting guy. You, you, you like talking to him. But they have another group that um, I think they focus on Woodcock on the eastern shore of North Carolina. Yeah. I think they're called mm-hmm. the Eastern Shore Outfitters or something along those lines. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, there's kind of a neat little community down there. Um, and they're just, you know, it's, it's like it, it, we're young to this. You know, I'm what they call an adult onset hunter and all that. You know, everybody seems so inviting, so nice, so sharing. Um, when we went down for Easter break to visit my daughter in North Carolina, we wanted to do some fly fishing. We asked Trey Wright, who said, what's going on? We're going to be over in the Boone, North Carolina area, Blowing Rock. He's like, oh, look up so-and-so. Call this guy up. Next thing you know, we're catching brown trout, brook trout. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like, it's a very, very cozy, cozy uh, network. It's really nice. Yep. Well, at least we found it to be that way. <laughs> I, I found that to be the case more often than not. Um, yeah. Now, once you get up here, we, we do lie to you. But we're still nice. We just lie. <laughs> well, you got to hide your spots. <laughs> right. I mean, I may have 60 of them, but I'm going to hide all 60 of them. No. <laughs> I, I think we've talked about that with some former guests about which ones to give away. You know, you give away a pretty good spot. You don't give away a perfect one. But uh, Well, uh, yeah. Mich- Michigan's, on our, Michigan's on our bucket list outside of the preserves. We want to we go by. Well, I guess you guys, I think you actually had a... Uh, you or your predecessor had a, a gentleman on who was kind of spearheading the whole release of your pheasants, uh, that program, the Michigan Pheasant Initiative or whatever that was called. Yep, the, the hunting initiative. Yep. Yep, yep. yep. And uh, we definitely want to try to get up there this season and check that out. Yeah, probably not this season. We've got a pretty and then, we, and then ultimately we want to, we'd like to get up and, and try some try grouse. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that would be fascinating. Um I, I just think that that's great. You, you guys are so close to us that it would be it'd be nice. Yep, yep. Try try the releases, but uh, the the experience you had uh, with with the first day of the season, second day of the season, third day, you're gonna want a really nice pair of safety glasses. Um, <laughs> that's that's the best way to say it. I uh, we have gotcha. a, we have a television show up here called Michigan Out of Doors TV. Yeah, um, we watched it. Yeah. And if you watch the opening day that Jimmy went on last year, you can see the look on his face, and he's probably going to hate me for bringing this up. He's like, I didn't bring a vest. Like, Kevlar. I, I have an orange one, but there's a lot of folks out here, you know. But uh, that that also illustrates the demand for for good habitat as well, you know. there's There's a lot of people that want to hunt. Um, that would like to get back out again, you just got to assure them that the birds are there. Um, part of MPHI is a way of assuring people birds are there. Um, when I talk to Ben Beeman, good habitat will also assure you they're there because after a few days, you're going to get cut up. You're, you are you got to go where I'm going to live, and they're not going to live out in the open in the easy walking anymore. Right? So those are, we we have both. There There will be a wild area spot where, where you guys can test your metal, same thing. You know, the release program, as far as I know, is still on for this year again. Um, cool. I have not seen a list of places yet come across my my phone screen. But uh, And then if you've already driven that far and you're used to driving to North Dakota, just point north and see about getting a grouse, you know, uh, make make oh, a yeah. full week of it if you have to. But uh, that, 
that's that's the goal. We'd like to head up north, chase chase some grouse. Yeah, yeah. I, I've never actually hunted grouse before. I think that'd be a great experience. Yeah, it it's a great experience, and if you happen to get a grouse tail feather left under your windshield wiper, chances are it's somebody I know or me. <laughs> Good to know. I, we we do that for Ohio plates especially now. <laughs> it's it's our friendly it's our friendly little poke in the eye. Um, whenever we're up north, oh, that's pretty funny. Just, now we we would never give those up. We we, have, we put too many on Charlie's wall up here. <laughs> exactly. I, we intend for you to keep it. That way, when you go back home, you can lie and say that you know I would have brought one home, but I knocked one feather out of that grouse. And he's still the king of the woods, and he's gone again. You know that's that's there. But uh, I I, keep... I I told Charlie all about the. Uh, I don't know if your habitat's the same as the for that hunting as uh, up in northern Wisconsin. But I mean, not being able to get your barrel up, and you know, just like jumping right off. You know, I know people walk the paths, and they might see him eating some gravel every now and then. But whatever. I mean, we're talking going like deep into the thick. You know, where oh, you yeah, just jump yeah. off the side. And... There's. There's a certain muscle group. Is that kind of group. what it's like with, is that like what yeah. you have? Oh, absolutely. Um, yep. There's a certain muscle group, though, that you use to maneuver through really thick saplings. Now, the first week of season, since I've been kind of lazy around my garden, it's going to hurt. But there's a way to contort yourself on each step that if you kind of plan your walking a step or two ahead of time, it's a slow version of calisthenics trying to maneuver your body, your gun barrel, your arms, your vest, everything about you has to maneuver through things that aren't wider than you and still get your gun ready. And it, it takes a while. So by the time late October rolls around and camp starts, I'm back in condition and those muscle groups are reused. But up until then, that first few weeks, yeah, every trip out, you're like, why am I sore right there? Well, that's the only way to twist and slide sideways through the popples is with that muscle, which you haven't used since last October. And every time. And it's it takes some practice. Learning to shoot in that stuff is an entirely different game. Um, but again, you'll, you'll never have more fun. You will never be more tired. Uh, food will taste better. The whiskey tastes a little better. Um, the dog work, you hear it more than you see it sometimes. But uh, it, it, it's an amazing time. It's an amazing bird. Um, and, yeah, you'll you'll need a couple hundred bucks for some taxidermy when you get one. Cause... Yeah, I keep, I keep encouraging my brother-in-law because he's in East Grand Rapids, and I know you guys got a pretty strong RGS chapter, I guess. We do. Uh, we have a very good chapter in Grand Rapids. Yeah, he, I, I keep telling him he's got to gotta get involved in that. Uh, he doesn't have a dog. I think that's why he's bashful. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's okay. That's <laughs> Part of the thing with a dog is there's only one cheap dog. It's your buddies. <laughs> join, join the chapter. Make a buddy. And and he pays the food. You occasionally, you know, hey, before season, you know, I really appreciate you doing this or that. Here's a here's a bottle of, you know, 12-year scotch. You know, let, let's go hunting, buddy. And in the meantime, he's fed the dog all summer, trained it, spent time with it, bought it birds, vet bills, everything else. You show up with a box of shells, an orange hat, and a gun. That <laughs> this is You're this good is, to go. <laughs> this is coming from a guy with four dogs. <laughs> I would I would appreciate the whiskey. Um, but I wanna I wanna close this up. We're we're running over our hour, which 
which is a habit. I don't think I've really ever been under an hour. Um, you have a unique opportunity you have found for practice hunting. And it's on my oh. notes. So you mentioned, see, okay, yeah, you're, you're grinning now. Um, tell me about Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, so, tell me about practice alrighty. hunting. So over the summer, uh, we are always talking about getting permission on private land. And we always want to farm and stuff. And we were out one day. We, were, we had dinner Scout. out. Uh, we scouted. And then we brought m- my mom along to eat dinner out uh, in, in a farm. Uh, well, a f- out in, out in I don't know rural agricultural it. kind of area. Just yeah. Of this. yeah. Mm-hmm. And so on the way back, we decided to do some scouting on the way back. And... We were driving by this one guy's farm. He has cattle. He has seven, seven head of cattle and two silos and a barn. And we were looking at it and we were like, oh, do you see those pigeons? That would be great practice. And we were like, mm-hmm. we have to ask him sometime. And my mom was just fed up with us always talking about asking farmers. So she was like, get out of the car, go ask him. So we were forced to go ask him. And it ended up turning out great. We uh, we now have a new friend, and now we have a farm where we can hunt pigeons all summer long, and that is great wing shooting practice. Yeah, we're a little bashful about asking, so we were gonna go home, and then she's like, "Get turn this car, turn this jeep around, go over there." So she waited in the car. We walked up before we even put our fist on the door through the screen it's dark you couldn't see anything in there it's all white farmhouse and it's like come on in and we're like oh boy <laughs> i opened the door and i said after you charlie <laughs> <laughs> and he looked at me like are you crazy dad yeah. he walked in there and there's two old timers they're probably uh, they're seven, eight. eight they're almost they're 80. almost 80 they were both just finishing dinner and uh i don't think we left there for about an hour yeah, uh, we got to hold their their guns. Uh, we saw their old rotary black telephone. Uh, you know, we kind of got the lay <laughs> of the land of what's going on inside there. And, yeah, uh, they're like, "Hey, anytime you guys want to come by, just come on by." And you know, we you know we used to have a guy who came by and he'd knock on the silos, and then the pigeons would fly out and he'd do practice. So yeah, so Charlie and I go out there now, and uh, we, we try kinda, and go out as often as possible. And it's been good summer practice. It's been it's been pretty fun. And pigeon is it's technically a dove. It's technically a rock dove. Yep. So it tastes great too. I wouldn't eat the pigeons in the city. No city where pigeons. we live. But I would eat the pigeons because all they're doing is they're eating out of the silos. Yep. And they're going to neighboring farms eating. So no reason not to. And it's been pretty good, pretty great practice. We've been we've become pretty good at uh, herding cattle away from the silos too. So yeah, that's, that's always that's always so good stuff to know how to do. Charlie was pretty, he wasn't bashful. He went out there and said, "We got to get these things away because they said they don't want to shoot these dove or these uh, pigeons if the if the cows are by the silos, it's going to spook them and stuff." So we go yeah. out there and we start guiding them. We were out there uh, <laughs> a couple weeks ago with uh, my uncle. Mm-hmm. And he has a deep phobia of cows because he got chased by one <laughs> once in Iowa. So I was trying to get uh, get him out there to help to help herd the cows away, and he that wasn't was, going anywhere. That wasn't happening. He was staying in safety. 
That, it's yep. nice that they they, uh, they they duck dive dip and dodge. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you, that it makes for some pretty good practice out there. And we take the dog too, so yeah. she goes and marks them and retrieves them. So yep. it's been it's been good summer work outside of uh, outside of sporting clays. Have you have you tried to decoy them yet? Yeah. Okay, we have. <laughs> However, the pigeons are pretty set on where they're going, mm-hmm. and. The thing is, is that the silos are near the road, so they fly directly over the road, and we can't shoot by his house. So the decoying part has uh, not gone great. Oh, we tried to draw them away from the silos with uh, all our dove setups and stuff like that, and we there the mojo spinning. And actually, uh, and that they would not, they would not come towards us. They wanted to go get that corn in that silo. Dive Bomb Industries, they make pigeon silhouettes. So you can put out an entire pigeon spread for yeah. pigeons. But uh I don't think we're that we're that big into pigeon hunting yet. Yeah. <laughs> and if nothing else, a pile of bird seed off on the other end of the farm, that'll eventually get them. But uh... yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> the thing we like about that place is that they uh we've we've been told they had about nine turkey. He's uh, wandering around yeah. in the spring, and uh, they wouldn't care what we set up to go go for there. They're such nice guys. Yeah. Uh, and they actually have a, they have pasture for the cows, obviously, and I'm thinking this fall we might uh, get some birds and release them out there. Yeah, we thought we'd do, make it our own, if you yeah. will. Yeah. Our own upland. I heard about a place where you can actually get the, the birds shipped into you, um, somewhere out in New York. Hmm. New York's No, Phil, uh, Pennsylvania. And they'll, they'll send them in within three days. And uh, I thought, you know what? We got a place now. And I mean, it's there's a lot of acreage this fella has. So, and, and the habitat looks real nice. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's just let, they're grazing it. So he's got tall grass everywhere. Yeah. It's nice. Yeah. Yeah. It's been kind of an interesting twist for us this summer. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Um, well, and I'm going to, I'm going to kind of wrap us up then with, with how I found you guys. Through through Facebook, I get a Facebook requ- friend request that says Charlie Outdoors. I'm ah. like, well, and and I'm I'm only selective enough where I clicked on the the picture. It's him with a fish. I see the Instagram <laughs> handle on there, Outdoors with Charlie. I click on that. I see pheasant. I see a goose. I see a dog. I see more fish. I'm like, oh yeah, this is this is clearly friend material. And the more I thought about it, then you know when when we finally made contact, so. We'll we'll end with this. How did his social media stuff that I saw get started? So uh, originally, my dad started it for me to kind of keep like a log on what we're doing in the outdoors, like fishing, hunting, everything that involves the outdoors. Really, it was and really me. just meant to be like a scrapbook for ourselves and like family. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> and just... then uh, I've taken over and started posting and. It's just kind of gotten bigger and bigger from there. Yeah, I mean, it's, he's not trying to be some kind of social media TikTok weird thing. You know, he's just like, to us, it was like, you know what? Grandpa and Grandma might want to see what, you know, we were doing when we were here. And so we put some stuff out there. And yeah. uh, so now he's got some friends, a lot of family, and then actually some people in, in the hunting community, which is nice because then you go on these uh, these trips like we've been on, and they're like, oh, young man, you're a respectable, nice guy. He goes, he goes, and he goes, well, here's my social. I'm like, I'll follow you. And so people yeah. are commenting, and it's kind of been a nice way of actually connecting with uh, And that's how we've gotten into hunters. contact with uh, guys like Trey Wright. 
Yeah, outdoors like with that. Charlie. That's his thing. And uh, we'll be having some good ones posting up soon this year for some of our adventures. Oh, yeah. A couple good. weeks we're heading out on the dove field. So uh, that's going to be firing that one up again. Right. Your dove season starts, what, beginning of September? September 1, 9-1. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I'll be in the we're... teal swamp that same morning. Nice. <laughs> nice. Yeah, we'll be going from that to early season. Oh, yeah. Uh, early season ducks. And then roll right into geese. Uh, then geese. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Good stuff. Well, good. It's been a nice evening, guys, and I appreciate you guys coming on and talking to me. And, well, uh, Joe, thanks for extending the offer. Really appreciate it. We love your podcast. Uh, we listen to it often. And um, always interesting, interesting folks on there. So hopefully we didn't bring down your uh, ratings. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I had a guest yet that brought down my ratings. I just haven't found the right audience for a few of them. And, uh... <laughs> All right. Well, I'll have a good evening, guys. And uh, uh, thank you again for listening as well. You got it, Joe. If you're ever in Ohio, come on out with us. We'd love to have you. If I'm in Ohio, rescue <laughs> rescue me. I've been kidnapped. <laughs> All right, we'll break in on you then. <laughs> right. All right. Come up my way. Have a good night, guys. Take care, Joe.